Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome this morning. Hey, great to see everybody here today. We are in the book of Luke. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Luke chapter 22. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful Lord and Savior we have. Isn't God awesome? And a joy to come together with the family of God and worship today. We've been looking at Luke. We began with his birth in December. And then we looked at the miracles of the book of Luke. Some incredible stories in there about his power, the powerful name of God and what he did. And then uh, the last section was on his parables, his teaching stories that change our life. And right now we're beginning the passion of Christ and how he kept moving forward to the cross. And when we study his life and what he did, it gives us the courage that we can move forward as well. Luke chapter 22. Now, uh, there's something about a fire that's attractive. You know, you, everybody wants to stop and see a fire burn or a fire blaze or whatever. It just captures our attention, the power coming out of that fire, the warmth of the fire, the, 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 the flames flickering in the darkness, and it's just kind of attractive. There's something very attractive about, about a fire. Uh, we have a place in our backyard where we call it our burn pile. And some of you guys have that in your own yard. You have a burn pile. We've got a great, big, massive burn pile. I've tried a few times to grow grass back there and put it away, but, uh, but we keep finding more leaves and more branches and more stuff and more trees, so we just keep that burn pile going. And what I do is I let it get really, really big because I want to wait till my grandkids can come over because they love to see the fire. And so when they come over and spend the night with Paul, Paul, we, we have the fire ready the burn, and we go out and we light it and we have all these leaves. And by the time they come to see me, this pile is so huge, it's going to catch every tree around me on fire. And I got hoses everywhere and we're ready to go and douse it. And uh, if mom and dad is with them when they come over, what, what the kids like to do is they add to the fire. And so they're out working the yard and they're getting more sticks and they're coming in and they're getting, and this thing's going pretty hot now. They're throwing the sticks in and they jump back. And of course, mom and dad yell at them and say, don't get too close to the fire. It's dangerous. Okay. Now as grandparents, we don't yell anymore. We just let them do whatever we want to, right? Yeah, grandkids, hey, jump in the fire, jump across the fire. We don't care. Just have fun. We're not going to say no to anything. I don't care what it is. Grandma and grandpa never say no, but, but they always, uh, mom and dad will say, stay away from the fire. It's dangerous. You're going to read a story about a man by the name of Peter, and he's going to be attracted by a fire in a courtyard. And, and it's very attractive, and he draws close, and he sits around it with a bunch of other people. But it's also going to be, for Peter, a very, very dangerous place. It is going to be the place of Peter's greatest failure. And so let's stand together as we look at God's word. Luke 22 and verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into a house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they kindled the fire... In the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. 
Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. He went outside and wept bitterly. Father, we come to you today. Uh, We thank you, God, that this story that uh, that occurred in history was included in Scripture for us. We thank for God that even though we all fail, there's hope. I just pray hope will will come into this place, into the hearts of men and women here today. I pray, God, as I preach your word, you'll help me. Open up our hearts, I pray. Give you all praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You got a story here of contrast and and what is going on. The scene's very easily. Jesus is on trial before the council. He is facing his accusers and Peter is going to be on trial for his faith. His faith is going to be on trial inside this courtyard. uh, Jesus is forsaken by all of his friends. He is unjustly condemned. He is going to go to trial. He is cruelly treated by all his enemies. And yet Jesus shows no signs of resentment or fear. There's no fear in Jesus whatsoever. And as you study the trial, there's no resentment. There's no anger. You don't see that in the heart of Jesus Christ. Peter, on the other hand, shrinks from the very slightest glance of recognition. He, he cowers down, he hides out, he shrinks, and he denies even knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but here's the point of this story is Peter's failure was not final. It's not the end of the story. And I want to tell you today, that is great news for us today, church, because I will tell you, every single one of us will fail and have failed many, many times. But your failure never needs to be final. And I want to give you three encouragements from this story today that I believe will help you in overcoming your failures. And the first is found in verse number 54. Look at it again, if you would. And then seizing him, they led him and took him out of the house. And Peter followed at a distance. Number one, if you're not going to fail or want to overcome failure, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Keep close. You can't, you can't follow Christ at a distance. The moment we begin to say, I want to identify with Jesus as a Christian or a child of God, but I I don't want to get too close. I don't want, I'm worried about what people might think. I, I want to be in both crowds. I want to have it my way. The moment we begin to think that, we set ourselves up for failure. Peter was so close in the garden that he could cut the ear off of a man who's trying to arrest Jesus Christ. And we know he's not going for his ear, he's going for his head. He just was a lousy swordsman and so he gets his ear instead and he lops it off. He is so close earlier that a few verses earlier says, even though everybody betrays you and runs from you, I'll never flee you. I'll even die for you if need be. I'm going all the way with you. He was so close. So, so what happens in the garden? Well, you have just an allegorical picture here that, that when they take Jesus Christ away, he follows at a distance. He doesn't want to be too close lest he be arrested right along with Jesus Christ. Wasn't willing to pay that price. He is curious to see what will happen, but doesn't have enough devotion to identify with him. 
He did not follow Jesus for long, though. As he gets in the courtyard, he's going to further distance himself by the words that he would use and the words he would speak. And so they're seated around that comfortable campfire and they're warming themselves by the, by the blaze and by the fire. And he, and he begins to quietly shift identities. He no longer identifies himself as a follower of Jesus Christ, but now he identifies himself as one of the crowd that's around the fire. He's going to distance himself. I wonder how many... Closet disciples follow Jesus from afar. They want to keep their identity secret. They're like secret agent man. They, they don't want anybody to really know they're a Christian, and so they follow from a distance. They won't change their lifestyle. They don't change their language. They don't change their habits. They want just enough of Jesus to get fire insurance. By that I mean they don't want to go to hell. So if I say the name of Jesus, if I prayed it once in my life, if I made some kind of commitment somewhere along the line, then then I just want to make it to heaven, but I don't really want to pay the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, That deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, that's really not for me. That may be for somebody else. I just want to make sure I get to heaven. But I want to keep doing my own sins and doing my own habits and doing my own thing and I don't want to obey anybody following from a distance. Peter wants to be close. He wants to serve. He wants to be spiritual. But the moment things begin to heat up, he fails. And he puts more distance between himself and Jesus Christ. You see, it's easier to feel sorry for ourselves and keep our distance than pay the price of really what it means to be a believer, a child of God, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Peter stays close, he might be identified as a follower. If he is identified as a follower, he might be arrested, he might be tried, he might be imprisoned, and he might even be executed. And so this is not a time in his mind to get too close lest he be identified with Jesus Christ and have to pay that price. We're all about being Christians and wearing that label and talking about Jesus, but if we get too close. I've got to change the way I live, change the way I talk, change the way I act, and there's a price to be paid. The problem is when we distance ourselves, we become vulnerable, and it's in those times we are easy targets for the enemy. I, uh, uh, it was uh, in 2009, I had the privilege of going one of our missions teams to Kenya, Africa. And one of the highlights is was at the end of the trip, we got to do a safari. It's not a gun shooting safari, it's a picture taking safari. And so we are, we are right in the Masi Marai, which is probably one of the neatest game reserves in all the world. And there are the elephants and the giraffes and all this. And, and there's several different, there's campsites all around and they pull the jeeps up to where the action's taking place. And all the jeeps came over and they, they found a, a, a they, they, there were about eight jeeps lined up and we're watching and there's a gazelle and he's by himself. It's kind of away from the rest of the herd and gazelles would always move in herds but this one was either slower or whatever. He's by himself. And we watched and a cheetah came up out of this tall grass 
And we got, I saw it live. It was like National Geographic. You're watching it live take place. And this cheetah pokes his head up and takes off the fastest land animal. And with just a few long strides, jumps on that gazelle, snaps its neck, takes it down to the ground, and kills it right there on the, on the site. And then you see these four little cheetah heads all come up out of the grass. And they all go and begin to gorge themselves on this gazelle. And they lift their head up and, you know, you get the zoom lens and you see the bloody faces of the cheetahs. And we're probably just a couple, a hundred yards away maybe from all this activity taking place. It was, it was really breathtaking to see all that at work and all that happening. But why is the gazelle taken down? He got away from the rest of the herd. And if you stay away from church and you stay away from group and you stay away from the family of God, you are setting yourself up. You become very vulnerable and an easy target for the enemy. And when you follow Jesus from afar, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Stay close. Stay close. Take a look. I want to break down this fall for you very quickly. The the first denial, notice the progression. There's a progression of denial here. The first denial is with the servant girl. And uh, the servant girl says, this man was with him. That's the word she used. This man was with him. In other words, guilt by association. He was with Jesus, therefore he must be a part of Jesus. And so what you see, first of all, Peter says, I don't know him. So the first loss is a loss of relationship. It's that denial, it's that denial of relationship. I don't know the man. It's a loss of relationship with Jesus. It always follows our decline or our backsliding or our falling away from God is that I don't know him. Loss of relationship, loss of connection. So what do I do as a child of God? I pray and I read the word and I stay close to the family of God and and I build myself up in the most holy faith. But when you begin to slip in your relationship, You distance yourself from him. I do not know him. Don't know the man. The second progression you see is a loss of community. I want you to notice the language. The second person comes out. The Bible just simply says someone else says you are also one of them. Notice the difference in language. First of all, he says you were with him, your identity with Jesus Christ. The second look is this, you are also one of them. This time, he doesn't deny association with Jesus Christ alone, but with all the other disciples as well. You are with them, plural, right? Look at it, it's in there. He creates not only distance from Jesus Christ, but distance from his brothers in the body of Christ. Loss of community. First, there's loss of relationship with Jesus. Second is loss of community with the family of God and our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I I can always begin to tell when people begin to not show up for church and they quit coming to church. First of all, they grow cold with Jesus, but pretty soon church is no longer a priority in their life. Coming together with the saints of God and worshiping the Lord is no longer a priority of their life. And they may come once a month, once every other month. They may pop in at Christmas or Easter. They may come in a couple of times a year, but they, they, they separate themselves and they lose lose relationship and they lose community and so he denies I was not with them I'm not a part of them I'm not a part of that group God has created the body of Christ to help us grow to support one another and lift us up in the most holy faith and and when we draw away when we lose distance from the family of God 
We're on our way to failure. You weren't meant to do life alone. I want to encourage everybody in here. You ought to find a group that you would be in, not just on Sunday morning, but some other time during the week where you're connecting and praying with each other and helping each other grow. You can go on our website. You can look up all of our groups. There's one in your neighborhood. There's groups here at the church. But get involved. Get involved with a group that will keep you from failing. It will speed up your spiritual growth. You will grow dramatically faster by being in a small group than you will just by coming to church on Sunday morning. You will grow exponentially faster because there's that small group interaction and care and you begin to know each other and share life together. We need each other. Peter distanced himself from the support group Jesus had designed for him, his disciples in Christ, the brothers in Christ. The third denial is a loss of culture. Someone else recognizes him by his accent. Now, it's, it doesn't come out as clear in Luke's gospel. You'll see it in Matthew, Mark, and John's gospel where he denies the third time with cursing. There's now a loss of culture. And so here's the rub. Listen to me. He says, your speech betrays you. They could tell by his accent he was a Galilean. Now, I, I like to, you know, when I service ends on Sunday morning, the, the early or any of the services, I love to go to the Welcome Center. And we'll meet visitors who just moved down here from all parts of the nation. And I can usually tell right away who the New Yorkers are. They, New York. They have this, this crazy New England accent, New York. And I can't say it, but they don't say their R's. It just kind of all kind of just, it, there, there's no R's in their vocabulary. I don't know why. And then, and then I'll meet the Southerners from the Deep South. And I know they're from around here or Mississippi or Louisiana or somewhere else. And they got this long Southern drawl. And one-syllable words become three-syllable words words. You know how that works. And so you can kind of tell who they are by their accent. I'm from the Midwest. We have no accent. We're just right smack, right smack in the middle. There's no accent from Ohio whatsoever, I'm sure. But uh, it, it, they said, your speech betrays you. Your speech betrays you. And the response was, if my speech betrays me, then I need to use my speech to further distance myself so what he does is he begins to curse and use profanity you see what he's doing here loss of culture he is now going to identify with the speech patterns of this world now listen let me tell you something i'm going to i'm just going to be open and on blunt a child of god has no reason to ever use profanity cursing four-letter words Because what you do is when you say that with your mouth, you are identifying with this world's culture. And what are you doing? You are distancing yourself from being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. James Wright can bitter water and sweet water come out of the same fountain of life. He says whatever comes out of the heart flows out of the mouth. It is a reflection of what's on the inside. And so when you're around your cool crowd and you say those bad, nasty words to identify with them to fit in, you are distancing yourself from Jesus Christ. You shouldn't hear it. Now, I'm around guys, and, 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 and I, they let a word slip. And they'll say, Pastor, I'm, I didn't mean to say that. They know who I am. They forget who I am. And they say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I said, buddy, you didn't offend me. You just distanced yourself from Jesus. You've, you've, you've offended your relationship with the Lord. 
And, and, and the speech becomes so casual and you hear it so much and you're around it so much. And I know you guys work in environments and, and where the language can be just absolutely filthy. Don't become a part of that. Don't adopt that culture. There was a loss of culture. He no longer was a part of the culture of Christ. As a Christ follower, he is identifying with the culture of this world by his speech. Mm. After this third denial, right, when he's denying him, and in fact, Luke says when he, when he says this, when he does this this third time, the rooster crows. And the, the rooster is crowing, and Jesus turns, and he looks at Peter, and their eyes meet, and man, he is stricken with conviction. He runs outside. He begins to weep bitterly, and he cries, and grief overwhelms him. Now, here's the reality. Everybody has failed. We all fail. We all blow it. It's humiliating. It's heartbreaking. And after it, we feel absolutely horrible. But listen, when failure comes, I want to encourage you, run to Jesus. Don't run away from Jesus. Get as close as you can to him. Come back to the Lord. Get that restoration of closeness and relationship. It's the only cure for failure. Second thing I want you to keep in mind is keep in mind weakness. Peter underestimated his own weaknesses. He underestimated his own weaknesses. You read the gospel, you get this sense about Peter, and you read the story throughout his life that he's confident, he's somewhat prideful, he's arrogant, he is uh, impulsive, probably a little bit hot-headed. All this comes out in Peter's personality. You'll never find Peter in Scripture admitting his own weaknesses doesn't admit to it at all because he thinks he's got it all together. Much of the same way we don't admit our weaknesses. Because our ego, we want to guard our ego. We want to guard who we are, and so we don't admit our weaknesses. We think we're pretty special people, and so we guard that and we hide that, and pride gets in the way. And instead of letting others help us in our area of weakness, we cover it up and we hide it. Right? Don't want anybody to know. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, 12 says, If you think you're standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. It's in that pride, it's in that we got it all together that we are very vulnerable to failure. Uh, look at Luke 22, verse 33. Go up a few more verses. He said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and even to death. Now, what a bold declaration. I'm ready to die for you. I've got, I, I'm your super apostle. I'm your super disciple. I've got it all together. I will go to prison. I'll die. I'll do whatever very braggadocious words. I'm sure there were other disciples in the hearing of this. He didn't say that in secret. He said it. I'll die for you. I'm ready to go. When we are overconfident in ourselves, we are not placing our confidence in Christ. And this is exactly what pride does. Pride puts the confidence on self. It internalizes my abilities. It doesn't put my confidence in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm more susceptible to failure. We let our egos, our pride guide us instead of the Holy Spirit. So I become ego-driven, self-driven, instead of Holy Spirit-driven. You get that? Peter's pride set him up for a climactic fall a few verses later. 
Go back and look at the, look at the verses right before he, he says, I'm ready to die with you. Go back to verse 30, 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you. Notice what he says, that your faith will not fail. Peter's denial was a failure of faith. Now, I, I want to I make something very clear to you. Failure is an event. It is not a person. Failure is an event, an action. It's not a person. You are not a forever defined by your failure. I, I, a good friend of mine, he, he just died about two years ago in a motorcycle accident, Terry Walther. And... Uh, we used to love to play volleyball at the men's cookouts and the men's activities and all that. He had an amazing sense of humor, and uh, he was competitive like I was. And we were, we were always paired up against each other. And if my team lost, which happened quite frequently, he would go like this, loser man, loser man. He'd do this L sign right on top of his forehead. You're a loser man. Now, uh, sometimes when we fail, we begin to wear that L and we think, I am a loser man. Failure is an event, not a person. Now follow me here. It's an event, not a person. When repentance is complete, you are no longer branded as an adulterer, as a liar, as an addict, as a divorcee, as a failure. But you are branded as a child of God. That's a good time to clap, guys. That's a good one right there. You are not forever branded by your failure. Your failure is not final. You don't wear that L the rest of your life on your forehead. It is an event in history. That means when I repent and I confess and I turn back to Jesus Christ, he forgets my sin. He buries it in a sea of forgetfulness. He will never dig it back up. He will never hold it against us. I stand before him cleansed by the blood and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Humble yourself, confess your sins, admit your weakness, and seek help to overcome them. You are not branded. You are now a child of the Most High God. That's good. Number three, keep going. Keep going. When you fail, what do you do? Keep going. I, uh, some of my favorite movies of all time are the Rocky movies, right? Anybody like Rocky? It's amazing. They will pummel Rocky there's blood flying everywhere. They don't, they don't spare any blood in the ring. I mean, blood's flying everywhere, and Rocky keeps getting knocked down. The thing that makes Rocky so exciting is when he's laying on the ground and they're counting him down, they're all saying, get up. His, his Adrian's saying, get up. His person in his corner's, get up. And they're all yelling. And what are you doing at the TV? You start yelling, get up, Rocky. Get up, Rocky. Come on, Rocky. You know he's going to, right? But you're yelling anyway. Get up. The thing about Rocky that is so cool is he always gets back up. I mean, he may lose that fight. It may be at the end, the 15th round, and everybody's cheering because he got back up and he fought. And it's just the, those feel-good movies, get back up. And that's what happens when we fail. Get up. Holy Spirit's in your corner. Get up. He's waving the towel. Get up. You can't let your failure hold you back. 
Jesus knew that Rocky would bounce back. Listen to me. Peter, by the way, means rock, in case you didn't know that. Jesus knew Rocky would bounce back. He said, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brother. In other words, you're going to fail, but you're going to turn back. And when you get done turning back, strengthen your brothers. I got a job for you to do. Peter is not only restored as a follower of Jesus Christ, he now is also restored as a leader of the early church. Now, that, that's a, that, this is an incredible failure. Three times in a garden, denying the Lord with profanity, with cursing. And yet God's going to restore him. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he would spend 40 days with his disciples in John 21. And I don't have time to go there. That's a whole other sermon in itself. But three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think one time for every betrayal by that fire. Do you really love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says, what do he say? Then go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go feed my sheep. This time... In John 21, when Jesus Christ comes to him again, Peter's affirmation of, yes, I do love you, is not marked by pride or arrogance. You know how hot I am. You know how good I am. You know I will never, I'll go to prison with you. You don't see any of that this time in Peter. There's a humility. He's marked by humility because he had failed. Peter got up and he kept going. And as a result, he became a powerful leader in the early church. You know, we don't have time to cover the entire passion of Christ, but you have the story of Judas as well in here. And Judas' sin was basically the same as Peter's. He betrayed the Lord, denied the Lord, betrayed him with his actions, and his grief became final, and it led to his own suicide. Peter, on the other hand, did exactly the same thing, broken by grief, uh, but instead let Peter to Pentecost. And at Pentecost, he preaches and 3,000 are saved on that day, and he becomes the undisputed leader of the early church. Peter does not let failure become final. He does not let his failure define who he is. It's an event in time. It is not a definition of who you are for the rest of your life. And he keeps right on moving forward. Listen, never put a period where God puts a comma. You may say, I once was an addict, but now I am free in Christ Jesus. I once was lost, but now I am found. My failures are not final, but my failure even becomes an opportunity for growth. What happens when you break a bone? When you break a bone and it mends, now unless you're, you're old like I am, but when you're young, you break a bone and that, that bone mends together, that becomes one of the strongest bones in your body. The place of your failure can ultimately become your place of your greatest strength. Wow. When I am weak, the Bible says when I am weak, then he is strong. And so in that place of my weakness in Christ Jesus, it can be my area of greatest strength. So stay close to Jesus. Be aware of your weaknesses. and Always keep moving forward. Now here's the deal today. Some of you have let your failures define you. You're still defining who you are today. And you feel this weight, you're carrying a weight and just, you don't know what it is, it's a dark cloud, it's a weight, it's over you, it surrounds you, it affects everything you do. 
Give your failures and your weight to the Lord. He heals. He restores. You can't do great things for God if you're still living as a failure. And if you act like your failure is final. And your failure is the final word. Let any past failures be an opportunity for growth. An opportunity to strengthen the brother. And he says, when you've been restored, go back and strengthen your brother. How, how can any failure I've ever done strengthen my brother? Listen, your failure becomes a part of your testimony. And you've got a story to tell. And you say, listen, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. I failed in the very same area. But you know what? Christ has changed all that. And I'm following him. And it becomes a testimony to someone else. And so when you are restored, now go out and strengthen your brother's. Peter's story not only changed lives in the first century, his story has been changing lives through all the generations since then because we've read his story, we see it right here, and it encourages every single one of us. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look if you would at verse number 6. Now, this is Peter's testimony. I want you to remember what Peter just did, what we just talked about. Now he writes, and this is what he says, humble yourselves. This is proud Peter talking. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due times. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why? I know that. I felt that anxiety, but I gave it to the Lord. Be self-controlled and alert. Don't let your speech, don't change your culture. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who knows more about that roaring lion than someone who encountered him by a fire? Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Don't identify with this world. Identify with your brothers and sisters. And look at this, and the God of all grace. Everybody say that with me, God of all grace. God of all grace. God of all grace. No matter how great my failure may be, he is the God of all grace. How did Peter know that? God's grace was there for him. And may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The God of all grace will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen and amen. Peter's story became a part of his testimony. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got an amazing testimony of God's grace. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.